Okay, good morning again. I'm ready. Uh, Michael is supposed to be up here preaching this morning, but we know Michael's been um, flying all night long. Just got back early this morning, so he, uh, we just uh, did a little swap. So uh, the challenge this morning is to see if we can keep Michael awake during the sermon, not yourselves. So it's all good. So <laughs> he looks pretty wide-eyed and like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, so he looks, he looks like he's with us. Good job. Welcome home. And we had some good success on the mission trip, had um, some salvations, which I always get very excited about those. I know all you guys do too. And, um, and there's some, like a lot of really great stuff going on there. So, uh, so kind of looking forward to what you guys have to report back to us and uh, to uh, inspire us. I'll turn my little, uh, <coughs> my attention to this uh, scripture here. But before we go any further, I just want to ask the Lord to, to bless this word and uh, help us get through this. Well, Father, it's your word. It's about you. It's. It's uh, not about us at all, actually, but you made it that way. You made it important that we understand that we are important to you. So that's really a privilege, Father. But as we get together here and we come in your presence, we ask that the Holy Spirit would have rule and authority in the name of Jesus, that your principalities and, and powers would rule, not the satanic ones, but the ones from heaven will come and help us to change as we um, mere mortals, sit in your presence, the presence of the living holy God. And thank you, Jesus, that you made this all possible by your sacrifice and your life-giving, um, atoning sacrifice on the cross, one that cleanses us from all unrighteousness and allows us to come into the presence of the Father. So may you be blessed and, and praised as we uh, look into your word this morning. We thank you for your word. Uh, we hold in a high regard, we honor it, and uh, we believe it, and uh, are so grateful that you have given it to us to, to feed off of its living and help us to apply it to our life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so come with me, if you will. I would like to go back to the very, very beginning, a few years ago, when the, uh, the people of God, they're called the Israelites, they were in Egypt for several hundreds of years, and I want to start there. I just want to read some of the great things because the, the Israeli, or Israel, I guess it would be called Israeli children, they, uh, the parents of them were instructed and the grandparents were instructed to always throughout their whole lifetime make sure that they continue to tell the children and tell the future generations what God has done for you. And it's interesting enough because you all know the story, I'm sure, but I want to start there because um, a lot of the reading we have today is for the story basis. We're not going to look at the, every little verse of it, but just to get us through a, a couple main points here. So let's go with this very exciting story that I love very much and I'm very excited about it. This is, there here is the angel of God, and this is Exodus 14, 19 to 31, reading from the New Living Translation. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp, and the pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptians and the Israelite camp. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night, but the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea. 
And the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind, and the wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites. The Egyptians shouted, the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And when all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians in their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. All of the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. And when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What a great story. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, and this story is going to be told forever till the end of the world. Till the end. And so it should be because God did some amazing things for them. <clears throat> Exodus 13.21 by, the Lord, by day the Lord went ahead of them in the pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. So what happened? The Egyptians obviously were in the desert, and for, say, about a year or so before this time, they were basically found themselves um, camped kind of in the middle of the desert, let's say, just for uh, simple geography. But... Uh, the cloud was with them, and what they were there for about probably about a year or so, and they were building their tabernacle and they were building the uh, learning the laws of the, of the, that um, God had given to Moses, going through them, digesting them, and that cloud actually rested right over the tabernacle. The Levites were actually the ones that built this tabernacle, and one day the cloud decides to move, and. When the cloud moved, they moved, and when the cloud stopped, they stopped, and it should be like that for us, too. Prepare ourselves so that when God moves, we move, and when God stops, we stop. This is a very good, simple, basic lesson that we should know, that, okay, because one of the prayers that you could actually go to is say, Father, don't let me do anything that you don't want me to do or that you're not doing first. Because it's easy to get in front of God and, and also the same way. If Father, if you're stopping, help me not to keep going. I really want to stop when you stop. And this is a lesson that we learned here that they had the journey. Once the cloud moved, they journeyed northwards for many, many days. And um, 
the pillar was the cloud during the day and the pillar by night. And I kind of kind of interesting how how this pillar is. What's a pillar? It says, and that word pillar hops out at me a lot. And the pillar represents the manifestation of the presence of God. And the presence of God was something that the Israelites really digested in the first five books of the Bible that are ascribed to that, um, that are ascribed to Moses writing, but there's still the theologians are not quite sure about that. A lot of controversy there, but nevertheless, it's the presence of God, and it offered guidance. It gave them comfort. It gave them safety, and it showed them that they had God's favor. And when the presence of God is in in our lives, we can get the same thing there. We get the comfort, we get the safety, we get the guidance, and we get the favor. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the interesting thing about this, on that verse there, if we read the 22nd, the 22nd verse, after that, I don't have it up there, but it says this, and God did not remove the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud. He didn't remove it. And he promises us that he is never going to remove his presence from us nowadays because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's a permanent, a permanent residence inside of us that nothing is ever going to change. So this is, a, this is a really important that in verse 22, God did not remove the cloud of fire. So basically, again, when they moved, when he moved, they moved. When he stopped, they stopped. And interesting enough that the um, Leviticus, the priests, uh, Levitical priests, they set the tabernacle up and the cloud was, the pillar was the center right over top of that because the center was exactly where the presence of God was. And that was in the center of the camp and God's presence needs to be the center of our lives. I'm a jealous God, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. The center of the camp was the presence of God. The center of our lives needs to be the presence of God. So let's make that the center of our lives. So what happens, um, as, as we were saying, the cloud got up, moved the Israelites. It took them to the edges of the, of the land of Canaan. And I want to see here what happens here. So now we're at the uh, edge of the land of Canaan. And when they came to the valley of Eshco, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshco, which means cluster because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there. And after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. Or Paran. They reported to the whole community what they seen and showed them, and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. And this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. And it is indeed bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful 
and their towns are large and fortified. And we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb, he tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. And the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Okay, what I want to highlight here is that we have the report come back. We have Joshua and Caleb saying, yep, let's go. And we have all the other men that say, no way, let's not go. There's a division. And this is a real problem because, <clears throat> well, look at this lady here. Now, that's, this is an idea of what a cluster of grapes that we're talking about. Two men had to carry this cluster on a pole, right? So the reason I'm talking about this is because God said to me one day, you know, you know Ben, uh, that thing we were talking about, which was, why are Christians so upset with each other? How come there's so much distrust? How come there's so much confusion? How come there's so much hatred? How come there's so much animosity? I just did a whole report on a, on, a, on a Christian singer that had nothing but persecution from the church. Why are we picking on each other? Why? I asked God that one day. And he said, yeah. He says, I know. I said, yeah, I wish it was like those grapes. You see all those grapes up there? Each one of them represents a church in the world. And there's one vine. I'm the vine. You all are the branches. I don't care if you're Presbyterian, Anglican, or Catholic, or whoever you are. You're all a branch. And now one grape doesn't say to another grape, I'm better than you, does it? That would be ridiculous. Don't they all look the same? And look at how big and beautiful they are. Imagine if we had a little bit of grace for each other as church leaders, as church bodies, and made something really, really nice. Because God sees the big picture. But then we can break this down into the world. We can break it down into the churches of the nation. We can break it down into the churches of the, of the state. We can break it down to all of a sudden the churches of the city, the churches of our community. It keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and you ask yourself, why is there, like even if you break it down into your family, you go, why is there so much distrust and so much confusion and, and things going on in families now? What's the problem? I said, I listed it right away. It came to me, communication, not knowing, ignorance, lack of vision, people perish. I love this quote. This one quote says, 
uh, one man's husband says to his wife, let's not confuse our relationship by trying to communicate or complicate our relationship. Selfishness. Most of, let me talk for my own self because I, I like talking about myself here in front. It puts me on the spot. Selfishness. Mm -hmm. Yes. Not listening. Hear that often. How many husbands hear that from their wives? Am I the only one? You're not listening. No love, no joy, just sadness. We have a new model in our family that's written on the big blackboard. Your life is beautiful. We should start thinking that way. Look, look at the riches here in these boxes. We have the abundance to send out into the world to those that are underprivileged. We have clothing to wear. We have food to eat. We have lunches in church. We have a really great life here. The world is struggling. So let us communicate because the reason being is you see how when you do, let's imagine this as a big picture of the world, okay? Now, in the world, God has a lot of different fruits. So there's a big world, as, as our brother and sister just came back, and you guys know that just came back, and Igor, how the world is a big place. So much to see, so much to explore, and God's a really, really big God. So he has a lot going on. More of the Bible actually says that even if we could examine it all, we would never be able to get it all. So let's not try to do that. But he's building something. And the grapes are part of it. He's building this fruit platter. But those grapes, they look really nice, don't they? Don't grapes look good in the cluster? When you put them in there, they fill their spot. They're like, yeah, that looks really good. Because one of the saddest things in the world is this. How many parties have I been to where I looked at a single grape and went, wow, that is just not right. Something, I, and, but I still want to eat it. I still, you know, you'll still, it's still got value. It's still big and nice and tasty and everything. So the individual is important. What I'm saying, the individual is important. Lost my, doesn't matter. You can get it back. But anyway. There we are. Still lonely. It looks lonely. It looks out of place. Doesn't look right. Okay, so what happens when we fight? Let's say we're back to this thing with the village. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. Wow, they were really upset. This is horrible. Can you imagine Moses for 40 years trying to tell them, look, trust me. Me as a leader going to you, well, look, I know I haven't taken you very far in the last 10 years, but trust me. You'd be going, mm, not so sure about that, man. We're about ready to get you a change of guard here. Moses had this problem. He's out there, and then all of a sudden, they're com they're com and the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, what that we had died in the land of Egypt or what that we had died in this wilderness why is the Lord bringing us to this land and fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones will become booty. 
And uh, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. I want to stop there. If your leaders, if you want to know if your leaders are okay, <laughs> when is a situation that is out of control and we need, we need to, okay, all hands on deck, the rubber meets the road, whatever way you want to describe it, those leaders... There's one place to go, straight down on your face before God. And I don't really care if it's in front of you because then you can look at us and go, at least our leaders are praying for us. That's one thing that's going to make a church strong in a cluster of grapes. If you get leaders that actually get on their face before the Lord and say, I love my sheep, I'm a servant, help me and help us get through this situation. And that's exactly why we got to such an example of Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly. And we're talking millions of people here. This is not just, a, you know, 50 people. Assembly of the congregation of Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephthu, they were, who among, they were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, The land we went through as spies is exceedingly good land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. It's quite a contrast between what everybody else said and what Joshua and Caleb were saying. They said There's, this is going to be a big problem. And on the other side, the truth of the matter was this is a land flowing with milk and honey. God is God of superabundance. Jesus made the statement, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Abundantly, in great excess beyond your understanding. Claim it. Claim it. I know we're not even halfway there yet. But there's times where you go, Lord, you said it. I need it. I want it in my life. I need to change. I need to move. I need to grow. Isaiah 40. I love this picture here. And I, I want to talk about this for a minute. Bear with me a little science class, okay? Because I, I like this stuff. Now, in Isaiah 40... Chapter 15, it says this, And the nations are but a drop in the bucket to me. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. I pick up the whole earth like a pebble, like a grain of sand. So that distance there, from there to there, that's 153 million kilometers. From there to there, that's 384 million kilometers. And that there is just a bunch of dust in God's opinion. They don't, that doesn't mean anything to him. But we know that we just, a lot of us just traveled there, and that takes, that's a huge place. Huge. There you go. This is a really good one. You live right there. Earth. It's like a pebble. It says right in the word right there. I just, read, I just quoted it for you. That distance from there to there, a million miles. Isn't that amazing? And God said, let there be light. It came out of his mouth. The word says he breathes the stars out of his mouth. And they're five times hotter and, and it could be even a hundred times greater than that. Out of your God's mouth, who said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. My presence is going to go with you in your world and he'll never leave you. 
caused a great rejoicing. Look at this, it's beautiful. Here's the center of the earth. So that's about 800 kilos or, um, kilometers from there to there. But that distance from there to there, that's 3,000 kilometers. And what it is is just molten lava and fire floating around in there. Then as this from here to there, that's another 3,000 3, kilometers. And I'm very, very like within a few kilometers, generic sizes. The fire starts cooling, it gets hotter, and it starts becoming rock. But inside this little place here, this is really amazing. There are what they call electromagnetic tornadoes. They're a thousand kilometers tall and a hundred kilometers wide. And basically, there are tornadoes of fire in there. And what they do, they, they help the earth magnetize so we can balance. And they're swirling around in there. And then from here to there, there's another 3,000 kilometers, and you can see the lava starts coming up here. And from that point right there to there, that's about 32 kilometers, and on the top of that is you and I. And God said, it's nothing to me. The earth is a pebble. The nations are dust. But you are everything. Everything. People are very, very important to God. And they ask, why is that? Because God said, I am going to make my eternal dwelling place with people. I didn't care if the Satan tells me that God is going to leave. He is not leaving in this life or the next one. Eternally. Now, how do we do it? We get the picture, right? Can be problems and everything. It's been problems all ever since day one. The world is big. We're important. To God, it's not a big deal. Except that he loved it so much, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will never perish. I say it's humility. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Learn to be the servant of all. Humility. Because what it says there, look at 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That word exalt, I want to just take a look at that. Let's talk about that. To the actual definition of the word exalt is to speak highly of you. God speaks highly of you. To pay you tribute, to hold in high regard. What an honor. To elevate, to promote, and this is my favorite one, to dignify. You stupid Christians. God's got your back because he'll sort that mess out. How many times do they laugh because you're a Christian? How many times do they go against Christ? They don't even know what they're doing. God will dignify you. Here we go. I like this one too. But he gives all the more grace, therefore it says, 
Well, you, let me be in verse 5, you know what he's talking about there? He, he's talking about God's jealousy for his spirit that lives in you. That spirit that God gave us, he's very, 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 very jealous about. And he loves it. And God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's, that part's for me. Half the time I'm wandering around going, what am I thinking and what am I believing? Do I even know anymore? It's a challenge. It's my personal challenge. I'm sure we all have one. Cleanse your hands, yeah. Lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. God shows his favor in verse 6. And favor means his approval. When the presence of the Israelites, they, that, that presence, that cloud freaked out the enemies. <laughs> They're like, the favor of God is on those people. They have a cloud of fire by night and a cloud of... Of shade by day, we just hope they don't come anywhere near my camp. Because I'm terrified of that. Even as sinners were terrified of that. But the people themselves, they didn't get it. They didn't realize how much of a privilege that was to have the center of their camp. Blessed with the presence of God. Showed his favor. Shows his approval. His support. His esteem. His goodwill. And his kindness, those are all words for favor. Resist. Resist, withstand. Counter, combat. Not against flesh and blood here. I like this part. Outlast him. Outlast him. Keep him out. Try to stop, prevent and lastly, to remain strong against. You can't do this on your own power. I'm talking about people who actually have the presence of God with them. That can use that. Say, Lord, your presence needs to protect me from that enemy. End of story. Give it to the Lord. And it says here, submit to God means to yield to him. It means to agree with him. To comply with him, to accept his ways, and lastly, the best one, to surrender. Let's do that. I really try. I really, really try to surrender a lot. Not that easy, because things creep back. And they, you know, the saying says, if your past calls don't answer, because it doesn't have anything new to tell you. There's nothing new that you left behind. What you left behind, you leave it. It doesn't matter. Be humble and never think that you are better than anyone else because in Genesis 3.19, for dust you are and unto dust you shall return. It's okay. I'm going to tell you something. 2 Peter 3, 7. I'll read it to you.
And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. <laughs> Unfortunately, this whole existence and whatever we're doing here and what we're doing one day will burn. One day. Maybe not in our lifetime. But one day won't mean anything. But today, we have a chance to engage with it, to enjoy it. It's a beautiful day. We're alive. Our lives are beautiful. We can live in humility. We have the presence of God as a center of our lives. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. How many times have I said that up here already? Never. One day, in conclusion, Revelations 21.3, and I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. So can you see the big picture? There's a lot of problems with people. God interjects his presence into our lives. His presence changes things, allows us to live humbly. Therefore, we can get along like a bunch of grapes. Individually, as churches in a state, as churches in a nation, and as churches in the world. And even Paul said, I don't care what they're preaching, if they're preaching for vainglory or whatever, as long as Jesus Christ is being preached, I don't really care. That's what he said. How do we do it? Through humility. We have to have trust. We have to have faith. And we have to believe. Because the one thing that upset God the most about the Israelites when he was talking to Moses about them, he said to Moses, he said, you know what, Moses? I'll tell you what. I'm going to wipe them all out. And I'm going to start a whole new nation under your name. Did you know that? God told Moses that. All his plans, all his promises for the seed of Abraham, he's going to wipe them out. Moses, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to give a whole new nation to you. Because they don't trust me. How, how powerful is that? Whoa, when I found that out, I said, Lord, please forgive me. How I, sometimes I don't trust you. I struggle because I can do it myself. I don't want to do it myself, but I want to trust you. And what did Moses do? As a great leader and great servant, he said, he got on his face again. said, no, Lord, no. Have mercy on them. He loved them, people. Your leaders got to love you. And leaders, whoever's listening in the world, love your sheep. You gotta love them.
Moses was horrified that God was going to do that. I wouldn't want that. Moses didn't want that either. Faith, trust, belief, hope, grace, and a presence. It's going to take us there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence. Lord, we are so tiny, but yet so critically important to your plan. We know that we're all the same. There's not a lot that separates us. And like a cluster of grapes, we probably look all the same to you. Help us to walk in humility with each other. Not to judge, not to speak badly about others, but to take on the form of a servant, to love each other, encourage each other as we continue to press into and onto what you have for us as we look into the future. Lead us into that abundant land, Lord, where the grapes are huge and the pomegranates and the figs and the land flowing with milk and honey Protect us from being divided so that we don't have to weep and cry all night. But that we can live and breathe so others can find hope. So the world can see us and go, yes, they have the presence. Oh, we love you, Jesus, and we give you the glory, we give you the honor, we give Father, we give you the honor and the love and the adoration, and we thank you for your spirit. So awesome. Well, we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a, and a real sound mind. Thank you for that. Keep us, Lord, as we continue this day and cause us to be joyful. This we pray in the name of Jesus and give you thanks for your word. Amen.